enough housekeeping. As you know, we've been in a series. It's 1120. All right. Uh, Good, good. I'll have you out of here by 230. Tops. This is going to be one of those messages. So buckle up. We're in a brand new series called Mission 316. And it's a six or seven week long um, uh, series. And and you'll hear from myself. You'll you'll hear from Kathy Conley. You might even hear from another uh, guest speaker somewhere along the way, maybe next month sometime. Uh, We're working on that. But we're taking every 316 in the Bible, not every, a lot of the 316s in the Bible seem to be impactful verses. Last week, we looked at John 316, right? The most famous verse in all of Scripture. And we sort of looked at some of that stuff and and looked at every little nuance and what, what God did during that in that verse and what we broke it down and we look at these different 316s and as you study and as I've studied the Bible in just reading you know I've, I've come to like you know first John 316 and I'm like you know that that's powerful that's a 316 that's powerful that's Jesus's baptism and talking about all of that and look at all these other 316s so that's what we're doing as we work our way through mission 316 um, we're going to be looking at different uh, books of the Bible, but the same reference. Chapter 3, verse 16. And remember last week I told you, you know, about context. We're not just going to be plucking a verse out. Oh, this one, 316, and and getting deep on that. We will get those verses in context. What came before, what goes after, the first three rules on biblical interpretation. Context, context, and context. Right? So, if you're a note taker, you're really going to want to follow along this morning. Um, if you're a note taker in your app or your phone or just paper and pencil, you're going to want to follow along and, and, and track with me. Take really good notes, kind of more than usual this morning. Stay with me. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Joel. Joel. Joel's a, a relatively small book in the Bible. Joel. Some of you got to go to the table, table of contents, and that's okay. Find Joel. Track along with me this morning in, in the book of Joel. And if you open your Bible to the, like the dead middle of your Bible, um, if you have a paper Bible, it's usually in the book of Psalms, right around there in the middle. And then like ten books after the book of Psalms, you'll find this little gem called the book of Joel. And today we're going to be looking at Joel. Guess what chapter? Three. Right! How many know the verse? You guys are tracking already. That's our text this morning, but you're not going to know anything about Joel 3.16 unless you understand what goes on in Joel chapter 1 and Joel chapter 2. So we're going to be kind of jumping back and forth a little bit to to get this in context this morning. You all with me so far? This is yes. All right, that helps. Okay, so in order to understand Joel chapter 3, let's go back to Joel 1 and 2. And first of all, the verse, though. First of all, the verse, chapter 3, verse 16. It'll be on the screen. It's, it, it's hopefully right in front of you on your Bibles or in your apps. Joel 3.16. The Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from what city? Jerusalem. And the earth and the heavens will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for His people. A stronghold for the people of Israel. I have a few things I want to cover this morning. Number one, Joel talks about what city here? Jerusalem. Thank you. Jerusalem and what other city? Zion. But Zion and Jerusalem, just so you know, get you caught up, are the same city. 
It's the same thing, all right? Jerusalem and Zion. Sometimes he says Zion, sometimes he says Jerusalem. But as you go through the Word of God, you'll find the name Zion. Uh, I read one scholar wrote over 150 times, and the name Jerusalem uh, almost 900 times. But it doesn't matter when you're reading the Bible, you're reading Zion or you're reading Jerusalem. It's the same city. He said, the Lord will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. And this roar, this thunder comes from the same place. Jerusalem is the capital city of what nation? Anyone? This is a Bible quiz this morning. Israel, right. Jerusalem is the capital city of Israel. And so when you read Joel and you come to Jerusalem, it's talking about this city that's behind me right now or over my shoulder on the live stream, I'm hoping, right now. And, and how, many you th- how many just think that's a beautiful picture? I mean, to capture that essence of Jerusalem, and we'll talk about what that big wall is over there and, and what this all means. But Jerusalem is now a holy site for three major faiths in the world. There are 50 Christian churches in Jerusalem. There are 33 Muslim mosques. In Jerusalem, and there are over 300 Jewish synagogues. And there are museums. There's there's the Holocaust Museum is in Jerusalem. And I've learned that that Holocaust Museum has over 450,000 photographs and 129 million documents that explain in detail the events of the Holocaust, where 6 million Jews were killed at the hands of Hitler. That's in Jerusalem. Now, you have Jerusalem. It's kind of on the edge of a hill, right, in the the topography of Jerusalem. It's on top of a hill, and then there's this steep valley, and on the other side, that's called the Kidron Valley. Anybody ever heard? Bible scholars, Bible notes, VBS, Jerusalem, Kidron Valley. And as you come up the other side of the Kidron Valley, you have what's known as the Mount of Olives. So you've got Jerusalem, the Kidron Valley, and the Mount of Olives, where Jesus actually looked over Jerusalem and prayed for the city of Jerusalem. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever been? There's a couple. I would love, when all the craziness in this world might be over someday, that I could take a trip to Jerusalem. But I'm thankful for the internets and the interwebs and the Google that I can look at and kind of get a view of what Jerusalem looks like. But the Mount of Olives is right over the other side. I have a picture of the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of, Mount of Olives has uh, now on it, uh, it's actually a cemetery. Anybody ever seen the cemetery? That cemetery is the longest, most active cemetery in the world, from what I've researched. Jewish people have been buried there on the Mount of Olives. There are a hundred and over 150,000 graves on the Mount of Olives. I mean, that is breathtaking. Just breathtaking. So you see Jerusalem in the back where the dome is, and then there's that valley, and then the Mount of Olives. And this is what Jesus, the topography Jesus would have seen to pray over that city of Jerusalem. And, and we'll go back to later why the, all those Jews are buried on the Mount of Olives. But going back to Jerusalem, there have been over a hundred battles that have been fought in Jerusalem. But the most important point I want you to take home from all of this this fact-finding mission about Jerusalem is that Jerusalem has been conquered 40 times by different people, different nations. You read about them. It was completely conquered, like by the Persians, 
the Persians captured Jerusalem, the Babylonians, the Turks, the British Empire, and of course we know the Roman Empire. It's been conquered time and time and time again. And this is, a, this is very important because originally, they've got a lot of kind of teaching stuff, so try and keep up this morning. We put some visuals up here to help you. Like, I'm a visual learner. Like, show me that. Oh, that I can relate to. Got it. Uh, but originally, that Jerusalem was called the city of David. Anybody ever heard it called the city of David? Jerusalem, same thing. And, and so you, you might want to write this down. The date is 1010 B.C. So like a thousand years before Christ. 1010 B.C. That's the date that David conquered Jerusalem. And, and named it the city of David. 1010 B.C. Now Joel, I want to write this down too, because you really won't understand anything about Joel until you understand this. Joel, we believe, was written about 800 to 835 B.C. A little more than 800 years before the time of Christ, Joel was written. And so Joel, we believe, was actually a contemporary of the prophet Elijah. And primarily, Joel was speaking to the people living there in the southern kingdom, which was Judah. Now, by the time you get to Christ, so you have David. Remember David conquering the city a thousand years or so before Christ comes on the scene. You have Joel writing the book of Joel 835 or so years before the coming of Christ. You have Joel writing that. At the time of Christ, this is what the temple would, look, would have looked like. So about a thousand years after David, about 830 some years after uh, Joel, Joel wrote his book, you would have seen the temple looking like this. This is the where Jesus would have walked into the temple. This is sort of Herod's temple is what it's called. This is sort of a rendering of what they think that temple would have looked like. Are you with me? You still with me tracking? Good, good, good. Uh, so this is another thing you might want to write down. Someone you know that Jerusalem, this temple, during the time of Christ, was completely destroyed. Completely destroyed. This is very important. This is the date I want you to remember. The year 70 A.D. Big time year, benchmark year in, in the temple and in the, in, the, in the city of Jerusalem. 70 A.D., the Romans came and destroyed the temple. Now nobody look at the screen. What year? 70 A.D. Good, none of you cheated. I know, you, this is church, you don't do that. But don't forget that, 70 A.D. I'm going to refer to that a little bit later. The Romans came in, completely destroyed the temple, and the only thing that's left of Herod's temple is in the southwest corner part of the foundation, remember that, that the only thing left is what we call the western wall. And the western wall is that wall right there. It's the only thing left from that original temple that was completely destroyed except for that. In what year? Perfect. You guys are tracking. But some people refer to this as the western wall or the wailing wall. Anybody ever seen that before? The wailing wall, the western wall? All right. And it's the western wall where people come from all over the world. All over the world. These people are some of those people. Sometimes it's way more crowded than that. Uh, but they have these prayers. They write down prayers in these little pieces of paper, and they sort of scrunch them up, they roll them up, and they put those papers in the wall, in the cracks of that wall. And, and that's, that's supposedly one of the holiest places still left on planet Earth. Now, it was in First Kings that God in heaven, He's the one who actually chose Jerusalem to be the city for His people. Now, God could have chosen any city in the world, 
But God chose Jerusalem to be his people's city. That's God, the city of God really is Jerusalem. He chose that to be the center in his nation, in his city for his people. Now Jerusalem today, folks, is central to our faith. And I'll tell you why. And as I said, it's one of the, believed to be one of the most holy sites on the planet. I want to show you a couple of maps this morning. Stay with me, track with me, don't, don't nod off. It's going to pay off at around 2 o'clock. So, a couple of maps this morning. The first map, I'm going to tie all this in later. You're going to, you, your mind will be blown, blown as mine was doing the research. But what I have highlighted here in Jerusalem, and, and it's hard to see from there maybe, but that's what would have been Jerusalem, just that highlighted part, the color part. Uh, in the time of David, in David's day. So when David conquered Jerusalem, and, uh, and it's actually when Joel wrote his letter, is the city of David would have been in that area we know today as Jerusalem, but in that, that central area. Now an artist's rendition of that, and, and to understand about that, uh, we see the different landmark areas of the city of Jerusalem, and that's what it would have looked like. But for our story, the book of Joel talks about Jerusalem as a David city was on the southern slope of an area called Mount Moriah. You all see that up there? Mount Moriah? So then David's city would have been on the southern slope of Mount Moriah. Now this is a holy place. You read about this all through Scripture. The topography though, it's important to remember, the topography of this area has not changed. To modern day, it's almost exactly the same. The topography the lay of the land. Even though the city has been built and rebuilt and all of that, the topography has never changed. So Mount Moriah, everybody say Mount Moriah. Moriah. About 4,000 or 5,000 years before, before now, Mount Moriah was the place where Abraham offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice. Remember that. Abraham took him up to Mount Moriah. And 3,000 years ago was the city that David captured from the Jebusites in 2 Samuel. You can read about that. All of this to say that this is a holy, holy, holy area. This is where the the Bible comes to life. Like in real time, you can go and look at this place today. And all the descendants of David, all of that happened in 2,000 years from the tribe of Judah, 2,000 years after the time of, of, of Jesus. We stand here and we look at this and we say, wow, that all, like, that's a real place. We think of this stuff as like we read about it in Scripture and like it's kind of out there somewhere. But this is an actual physical place here on planet Earth. <laughs> so of all, one of the descendants of David appears on the scene 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus Christ. And on Mount Moriah there, Jesus, right about there, Jesus was hung on a cross right near this site as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. And then one day we believe that when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, the Bible says that He's returning to this piece of land right here. We do know that Jesus will return one day, right? We're on board with that. And symbolically, again, I don't want to confuse you any more than I already have, but Jerusalem in the Scripture also represents heaven. Because we read about Jerusalem in the book of Revelation and in other places that there is going to be a new Jerusalem. 
It also, in, in symbolically, in the scripture, Jerusalem, where God dwells, where God lives, where God establishes his kingdom, it also represents your own heart. Because even though Jerusalem is the place where Jesus came to set up his kingdom, ultimately he desires to rule and reign in your heart and life. So Jerusalem is central to the book of Joel. It's central to our faith and really central to the entire world. It's central to our future as believers. And you might want to write this down. down. We come to what's called the judgment of nations, getting back to our book of Joel. In chapter 1, Joel chapter 2 and Joel chapter 3, there's an overall theme that there is coming a day of judgment where God will judge any and all nations who have rebelled against God and against God's people. And you start in Joel chapter 1, and there's one of these cool things in the Bible called an invasion or a plague of locusts. There's locusts that go over the city of Jerusalem and destroy everything. Joel chapter 1 verse 10, it reads this, The fields are ruined, the ground is dried up, the grain is destroyed, the new wine is dried up, and the oil, the olive oil fails. Verse 11 tells us that the farmers are wailing. And the vine growers are just wailing. The oil fails and they're grieving. And then verse 12, the vine is dried up. And at the end it says, Surely after all this happens, the people's joy is withered away. And everything you see in Joel chapter 1 is actually a snapshot of what's going on in our world today. In our nation, in our world In the United States of America, there's not a plague of locusts, no. Although there are some locusts that come around every now and then. It's not a plague, although driving down the road you might seem like it is. Pinging off your windshield. How many have been down south and gotten those June bugs? That's a plague. (laughs) But we're not experiencing a plague of locusts in the world, but there is a plague of hatred. Would you agree? There's a plague of disrespecting authority in this country for sure. There's a plague of power. There's a plague of corrupt leadership. There's a plague of addiction in this country. There's a plague of depression and anxiety and fear. There's a plague of removing God from our lives and our school system. There's a plague of abortion, the shedding of innocent blood. And I would challenge, and a side note, this is free, don't pay for this. A side note, but do a study in the Word of God about any nation or any, any nation who sheds innocent blood and see what happens. It's a plague upon this country. There's a plague of pornography in this country. There's a plague of immorality in this country. There's a plague of injustice. There's a plague of, of, of there's so many plagues which leads to the joy of mankind withering away. It happened in Joel's day. And it's happening in our day. When these calamities happen and all of this, there's plagues that come and it withers away people's joy. Joel chapter 3, and we're going to get there, but we need to go back and forth a little bit. Remember our text is Joel 3.16, context, 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 and we're getting there. But in Joel chapter 3 and verse 12, we're almost to Joel 3.16, it says, let the nations be roused Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. Everybody say Jehoshaphat. Now say Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat. Cool. 
Don't name your child Jehoshaphat. Joel 3.12 tells us, now don't forget the locusts. Remember they were in the plagues in Joel chapter 1. Still going on. He says, there's coming a day where I, God, will gather all the nations in the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I, God, will sit to judge all the nations on every side. I want you to read my lips this morning, church. Everybody look at me this morning. God will do this. God will do this. One day, God will judge the nations of this world. Don't doubt for a second that He's not going to do that. Verse 13 says this, Let the sickle swing the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Like it's time now. Come trample the grapes, for the wine press is full, and the vats are overflowing, so great is their wickedness. And then we come to our text in verse 16 of chapter 3. The Lord will roar like a lion from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. And the earth and the heavens will tremble. There's so many things I could tell you, but here's what you need to know about that. Any nation that does not honor God, God will eventually bring judgment to that nation. Mark my words. You do know that God at one time, remember, destroyed the entire earth. Remember that? He destroyed the entire earth, all the people, because the earth had nothing but wickedness in their hearts, is what the Bible tells us. And God at one time destroyed the entire earth with a flood. Don't forget that. Do you remember what happened in 70 AD? Earlier on in the... Remember that? 70 AD, you remember that? Remember what happened? What happened? God, well, Rome... Destroyed the temple, right? Destroyed Jerusalem, conquered Jerusalem. God destroyed his own city. He allowed his own city. Remember, God's city, Jerusalem. We went through all of that in the beginning to establish that this is God's city. He destroyed it. How many of you this morning are so glad that we live on this side of the cross? We live in it, what's called a dispensation of grace. And how many are glad that we don't live on that side of the cross, right? Destruction and hopelessness and all of that. Back when the law was in charge, we talked about that a little bit in recent days. We live on this side of grace, on this side of of the cross. Now, what year was the temple destroyed? Oh, you guys are great. That's a whole generation after the cross happened, right? It's, it's another generation. It's a long time. The cross was about 33 AD, so it was after the cross, and we're living on this side of the cross as well on the, in the dispensation of grace. God, even then, God, after the cross, after the dispensation of grace, after all of that, when was it? 70? Right. Even after that, God still allowed His city to fall, the city of Jerusalem, because of the sin and the wickedness and the disobedience of his own people who lived in Jerusalem. So even though we're living on this side of the cross in the dispensation of grace, God could bring judgment to this nation, the United States of America. He could. Could he not? Make no mistake about it. God has set his own timetable. And we are watching with our very eyes a nation, our nation, turning our backs on God. 
And there will come a time, make no doubt, make no mistake, church, there will come a time where God will say, enough is enough. And the burden is upon us. Because we as believers, even as believers, I know not you, but maybe other people you know, not the people in this room, but people you may know have compromised our faith. And as Christian, there are Christians, people walking around with, in the name of Jesus that have compromised their faith and they're living unholy lives. You know, we're, we water down the gospel. We're the ones who neglect God's word. We're the ones who have chosen to dishonor God in so many ways. Kind of a side note, you know, the part of our problem today is we don't have any true, with very few, true modern day prophets, right? Like, we don't have anybody named, like, like Joel preaching like this. Or Jeremiah, or, or Daniel, or remember Hosea, Malachi, Zechariah, those prophets who would, who would preach. Telling us that we need to turn our hearts over to God. You know, it's hard pressed to find a church in America even talking about sin and judgment or hell today. It's all about living your best life now and, and go out of here with a charge and woo, yeah. This nation has turned its back. And one day God's going to say enough is enough. Don't think He won't. Just because we live in a generation, in a time that we, we sort of ignore like, wow, that was back then, that's... That's the Bible and that. This is history. I've just proved to you that the, 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 the city of Jerusalem is a real place. There's a wall there that was mentioned in the scripture. This is history. All right. You know why though? And I'll, this is the last thing I'll say about this, hopefully. There's not a lot of churches talking about uh, sin, judgment, hell, things like that. And I don't want to send you out of here with that kind of message this morning, although you might need it. But pull your feet in this morning. You know why they don't? You know why? Because you wouldn't want to offend anybody. That's the thing today, right? Ah, man, we don't want to offend anybody. Well, let me be the first to offend you this morning. You read Joel, you read Zechariah, you read the book of Revelation, Thessalonians, there is coming a day, church, where God is going to judge all nations. I've got some good news, though, and, and say amen if you want some good news. There's some good news. And the good news is two words this morning. Jesus saves. If you look at that verse, the 16th verse, the Lord will roar from Zion, thunder from Jerusalem, the earth and sky will tremble, but, 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 God's going to judge all the nations, but, but, the Lord will be a refuge for His people. That little tiny word right there after the word tremble, but the Lord. How many times in Scripture, right? But God. Here's the worst and here's the bad stuff, but God. But God, He will be a stronghold for His people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. Now the word refuge here is a Hebrew word that means a place of safety. Joel is speaking to the people of his day and age, and he's explaining there is coming a day where God is going to, now he doesn't, he doesn't say he knows when, but he's looking to the future. And again, it's, this is 800 years before Christ, we read 800 years, we look at it flippantly in the Bible. Right, 800 years. 800 years is a long time. 
before Christ arrives, and he's telling the people of Israel, there's coming a day, and oh, it's going to be in Jerusalem, just so you know. It's going to be in Jerusalem. There's coming a day where the Lord is going to come and judge all the nations. However, but the Lord will bring refuge to those of us who are in his family. That's what he's telling his people. And you know what that's called in the Old Testament? Grace. It's grace. Grace is found. We can see grace in the Old Testament. Hallelujah. It's called grace. The people are in the midst of all this judgment. God is going to provide refuge for His people. Two things. One, we have to repent. We have to repent. Go back to chapter 2. We're going to come back to 3 in a minute because I want to explain it. At the very end, you'll understand it all. you understand. But if you go back to chapter 2, remember chapter 1, the locusts come. The people are depressed. The farmers are crying. Everybody's wailing. There's no food. There's no wine. There's no grain. There's no nothing. And he says there's going to be a day where God's going to come and judge all the nations. The day is coming. But in the meantime, Joel chapter 2 and verse 13, Rend your heart, not our garments. Rend your heart. We need to return to the Lord, rend your heart, and he says, return to the Lord. What is returning to the Lord but repentance? Because God, it says here in Joel, remember before 3.16, God is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love. Anybody had God is slow to anger at times? And he relents from sending calamity. God is willing and waiting on any of us who will simply turn to him. Yes, he will bring judgment to the nations. That day has been set in the heavenlies. It's coming. And Joel even says what we need to do is return to the Lord your God. Because God's character, who God is, is compassionate Slow to anger. Simply turn toward Him. That's called repentance. It has nothing to do with the clothes you wear or the outward appearance is what Joel's really saying. Rend your heart and not what's on the outside. Rend your heart. Mean it. Now in this room I realize, and people watching online this morning, there are a lot of people today who already know Jesus. We believe in Jesus Christ. You're covered. God's got you in the the palm of your hand. I realize that. But if you're here today or watching, and you've never turned to Jesus, in fact, you're actually running away from Jesus, you've never decided that you're going to follow Him and live for Him, put your faith in Him, and you're as lost as lost can be, you are in danger of that judgment that we just talked about. But most importantly, the second part of this, God will save anyone who simply calls on His name. i got to show you something. It seems like I'm losing something. You still tracking? Stay with me. i got to show you this. This is where you, you got to put on your thinking cap. I wish I had more time, but you know I don't want to go into dinner time. If you go back to chapter, Joel chapter 2, Remember, this is 835 years before Jesus arrives. Joel chapter what? Good, you're tracking. We read these words, the plague and the locusts in chapter 1, the judgment of God is coming. Chapter 2, verse 28, he says, And afterward, 
at that time, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And this is where it all comes together for us. I will pour out my spirit on all. This is Joel. 800 years before Jesus even was born, Joel says this. I will pour, after the judgment, after the locusts, after all this calamity, I will pour out my spirit. This Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. I'll pour my spirit on all people, people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And even on my servants, both men and, say it, both men and, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heaven and on the earth, in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Great and dreadful. I love the, 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 the scripture when it does that. It's great and dreadful. <laughs> what? Stay with me. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and here it is, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This sound familiar to anybody? This is the Old Testament, the Old Testament, the book of Joel, 800 years before Christ. 800 goes by, and Jesus arrives on, arrives on the scene. He dies on a cross. They take him off the cross. They bury him in the ground. He's in the grave for three days. He comes out of the grave. He's on earth walking around for 40 more days. And at the end of 40 days, Jesus goes back to heaven. It's called the ascension. And remember, when he was there, he said, I got to go. I have to leave. But I will send another, the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus ascends up to heaven, the disciples are in this little room. They're like, what is going to happen now? They're in this little room called the upper room. And they're praying, and they don't really know what's going on. And they, and they all of a sudden, from above, God's Holy Spirit comes. His Holy Spirit falls, these 12 disciples. God gives them the ability to speak in languages that they all understand one another and they can communicate from all these people from different tribes and nations, know what they're saying. And on the day of Pentecost, every Jew had, under the sun had gathered in Jerusalem. And for the day of Pentecost, the disciples began to preach, God began to move. And the people, the crowd that day, they were looking around going, what is going on here? Like things are going on and can someone explain all of this? What is this Holy Spirit? What's happening? And what's this power that I see all of a sudden? And I feel and I can actually see and recollect like something's going on here. So then Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost. Remember, 800 years plus after this, Joel and says this, and now we're in Acts 2. We're in Acts chapter 2. Peter says this. No, let me tell you what's going on. No, not this. This is what was spoken by the prophet who? Joel. And he almost quotes this verbatim from Joel chapter 2 and 3. He says this, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. This is Acts 2. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone 
who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter says what you're seeing right now with the death, burial, and resurrection and Jesus ascending and sending His Holy Spirit is simply a fulfillment of what Joel said was happening 800 years earlier. So I ask you this morning, do you see how it's all connected? Do you see that? How the Old Testament prophet, our mission tracking the 316s of Scripture, and they seem so mundane, they seem so ordinary. And you read Joel 3.16 and you say, okay, that was 800 years, that's Old Testament. There's grace, there's repentance, there's the Holy Spirit, and there's the great day of the Lord, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the infilling of, of His people, you and me, with His Holy Spirit. It's all connected. And it all brings us up to right here in this moment today. And that last part of what Peter preached and the last part of what Joel wrote, that anyone here today, watching online, anyone at all who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So you're wondering, Pastor, that, that, was, that was Scripture come to life. I mean, that's nothing that I've, that I've put together. It, like I told you before, the Bible is the greatest commentary on the Bible. You want to know how it's all connected, just study it. Just read it. And you say, you know what, that's great when Peter preached and all of that. That, that last part of that verse, those verses, are relevant to us sitting here this morning. Some 2,000 years after Jesus walked this earth, He sent His Holy Spirit. And all of this is available to you this morning. Randy, would you come? It's not going to be a lot of fanfare this morning. We'll just end. You just choose. Play what you'd like to play. And I would ask in response to hearing God's Word this morning that you would stand as we close this morning, I can't believe I got through all that before noon. But we see how it all unfolds and was constantly unfolding a thousand years before Christ when David conquered and named the city of David, named Jerusalem the city of David. And how all the prophecies about Jesus being one that would come to the city of David, it's all there. It's all there in Scripture. And I don't have to stand here, and God doesn't have to prove Himself to you. He's God. <laughs> he doesn't prove Himself to anybody. But God gives us His Word and gives us this, this timeline in history where we can connect everything together and say, Wow! Lord, look at that. And it's the constant unfolding of His purpose and His plan for His people. And on this side of the cross, 
The gospel message is for everybody. It's not just for God's chosen people, the Jews, the people who lived in Israel or Jerusalem, or the people that lived in Judah, or those people. Because of the cross, because of Jesus, the gospel is available for Jew and Gentile. That means Jew and you. You and me this morning have the opportunity not only to receive Christ as our Savior, to be saved, but to walk with Christ every single day. And then reading the New Testament and reading all about the people that have decided to follow Jesus. Reading about all of those people and their lives and how God meets their needs. And, and it goes all the way through right before to the, to the book of Jude, really. But read Revelation, it kind of separates itself. But all the people of God, we're, we're part of God's history. We're part of the history. We're a continuation of how God has delivered people time and time again. And God has not given up on you. And God has not given up on me. It's a continuation until Jesus comes again, the new Jerusalem, etc. But until Jesus comes again, we're part of the story. We're part of the story. Don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of that. You have the opportunity here this morning either to receive Christ which is believe in Him and you will be saved, as the Scripture told us, New and Old Testament. Or to, if, you, if you already know Jesus, if you're saved and you say, you know what, Pastor, took care of that when I was a little younger, I got that done. You have the opportunity now to walk with Jesus every single day. In other words, to what the Bible calls be sanctified. That's a churchy word, I know, but it really just means set apart for the work of Christ, the work of God. You kind of been doing your own thing. You're a believer. Yeah, yeah, you're a believer. But you kind of been doing your own thing. And life comes at you fast and all of that. But you have the opportunity now to sort of be all in and sell it and sell it all off and, and just be all in with Jesus Christ. So if you'd bow your heads this morning and we'll close, we'll wrap it up. But I don't want to just sort of end the service and everyone goes home and it's the same. I pray that no one would be the same as they came in here this morning, but they would have an opportunity to confess, to believe and be saved. Or, if you're already saved, you've taken care of that, but you've never really sold out. You've never really said, you know what? I'm going to give Jesus my entire life. I'm going to live for Him. I'm going to walk with Him. I am going to be all about it. You have that opportunity here this morning as well. So, with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, and taking into account everything that you've heard this morning, how God has connected all of this in history and He's not done with you. But you have the opportunity this morning. If you're watching online, just leave it down in the comments. Somehow we'll, we'll get the message. But I, I want to pray for you. I want to lift your name before the throne of grace this morning. If that's you this morning and you want to confess with your mouth that you believe that Jesus Christ is who He says He was, that He died for you and you alone and your sin, 
and was raised again on the third day and delivers His Holy Spirit to you and you have that opportunity, but you've never taken that opportunity to believe in Him and you want that, then just raise your hand this morning right here in this service or comment online or however you want to get the message. But just let me know and I'll pray for you this morning. Pastor, I need that. You just raise your hand and say, Pastor, I need that this morning. I need Him in my life right now. I need Him. I never have, but I need Him now. This history doesn't stop with you. If you would consider yourself a believer this morning, someone who believes in Jesus and sort of, yeah, that's, that's a thing in your life, but you've never really sold out. You're not walking with Him. You're not, you're not completely walking with Jesus today. It's sort of a thing that you do on Sundays and you compartmentalize and you put it away, but you really want to say, you know what, today, today is my day. I'm selling out. History doesn't have to stop with me. God's history doesn't have to stop with me. I'm all in with Jesus. I'm all in. I want this sanctified big thing that you're talking about, Pastor. I want to sell out. I want to walk with Him closer than I've ever walked before. Today is my day. I won't want to leave here before. I know that God's speaking to me, and I know that He's calling me to this deeper walk with Him. And if that's you this morning, just raise your hand and say, That's me, Pastor. Pray for me. Amen. Praise God people that have walked closely with God and want a deeper walk, want a closer walk, even this morning. You say, Pastor, that is me. One more time, I'm looking across. Just say, that's me, Pastor. I want that walk you're talking about. I want to walk the walk, talk the talk, be sold out. That's me. Amen. I thank you, Lord, for everyone this morning who has heard your word, Lord, and is applying it to their lives. I thank you, God, for those who have said, you know what, I know Jesus, but I want to walk closer every single day. I want more and more and more and more. God, fill that person, these people, with your Holy Spirit like never before so that they may be sanctified and set apart and walk every single moment of every single day, Lord, with you on their mind. Guide their steps, God. Put people in their lives who would be able to build them up and encourage them. And God, help us all to be more like Christ every single moment of every single day. I thank you, Lord, that history doesn't stop with me. That I can surrender to you, God, daily. Your word tells us to die daily. And Lord, we have the opportunity to do that every single day. Thank you, Lord, for your mercies that are new every morning. Thank you, God, for your provision, Jehovah Jireh, as we sang about this morning. Thank you, Lord, for being the cornerstone of our lives that we can build on every single day. We get the opportunity to build on Jesus Christ, our chief cornerstone. I thank you, Lord, for your word and how alive it is. Father, fill us now with your Holy Spirit, I pray. In this room and across the miles, Lord, anyone within the sound of my voice, God, your faithfulness, your faithfulness is unsurpassed. And we know, Lord, that you will do it and do it again. Father, would you be with us as we leave this place? And Lord, as we do go from this place, your house, and depart into the world, may we not depart from your presence. Go with us as we go. Father, we thank you in advance for what you're about to do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. 
and for his sake. And everyone agreed saying amen and amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming this morning. Amen.